Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi there. Welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another journey into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we've played with the idea of using botanicals for imparting humic substances and tannins into the water in our aquaria for the purpose of, you know, altering environmental conditions for some time now, haven't we? And, of course, sometimes these environmental conditions create outcomes that we might not have expected, hoped for perhaps, but not expected. And it happened again. Uh, I received another one of those breathless phone calls from a customer who recently switched over to a botanical-style blackwater aquarium only to have her little Boraris Brigitte which she'd have for, had had for over a year, suddenly start spawning like within a week. That was cool. Now, sure, it could have just been that they were finally of spawning age or that the temperature in her tank changed one night or, you know, any number of a dozen possible factors. She felt it was something in the water released by the botanicals that she added not too long ago. And in her case, it was uh, some catapa bark. Now, I can't say with any high degree of certainty that this was indeed the catalyst for the results that she was enjoying, but I can't disprove it either. And I hear these stories from hobbyists fairly often. In fact, likely too often to think that it's merely a complete coincidence or a set of unrelated events and random factors that created this. Yeah, we hear this stuff a lot. Actually, all the time, like regularly. We're seeing more and more in botanical-style blackwater aquariums you know, reports of, you know, spawn, what we call spontaneous spawnings, um, you know, spawnings that uh, were associated with these types of conditions that maybe the hobbyist wasn't uh, expecting. Often it's fishes that the aquarius has had for a while, perhaps with a little effort put into spawning them, and then it just sort of happened one day. For others, it's perhaps expected, maybe the ultimate goal as it relates to said species, but it was just taking a real long time to get there. The common denominator in all these reports that we receive are that the fishes are displaying better color, better vigor, overall health, you know, after being exposed to the more physiologically appropriate conditions of a blackwater aquarium. Now, this is by no means us stating that blackwater tanks are somehow magical or that they possess the ability to make every fish magically thrive and spawn. That's just complete BS, and I won't ever make those kind of assertions. Rather, it's more of an affirmation that fishes from specialized aquatic environments, even those which might be several generations captive bred, can always benefit from being repatriated to the conditions under which they've evolved for eons. Now, I know there's those who will adamantly state that this is not necessary or true, but I just have this real hard time accepting the argument that fishes from, say, soft acidic blackwater conditions are somehow better off in hard alkaline tap water you know, conditions uh, after only a few generations. You know what I mean? It just seems like it seems like somehow we have changed the uh, genetic predisposition of these fishes to thrive under such environments. I don't think so. You know, we've undone millions of years of evolution in just a few decades. Nah, I'm not buying that argument. Acclimated to the water parameters that work for us, sure, help them to adapt to conditions different from under which those they evolve, perhaps. However, have we changed that physical, you know, physiological requirements and preferences for certain conditions? No, I'm not buying that. 
Now, I could be totally wrong, but I'm not listening anyway. Not that I'm, you know, stubborn or anything like that. But really, we could all relate to this. Like, look, I mean, I'm an L.A. boy. I was born in Southern California, born and raised here. I lived all my life in relatively warm temperatures. Sure, can I adapt to living in Antarctica if I'm given the proper clothes, housing, etc.? Sure, I could even start a family there. Yet, does this mean that I've somehow evolved to thrive in these conditions? No, it means that I'm adaptable, capable of surviving in conditions different than those under which I have evolved or grown up under. Okay, that's probably not a perfect example, but it's the, the one that I can immediately think of. <clears throat> but seriously, I think there's a lot to be said for the potential benefits of humic substances for fishes. We know this, and indeed much research has been done in this area already. Still much is yet to be fully understood, but to suffice it to say, there are a variety of health benefits that are ascribed to humic substances found in blackwater habitats. And the superficial yet numerous observations we've collectively made thus far seem to confirm this. What advantages do they give us when we're trying to breed fishes from these habitats? We're still learning this stuff. Now, I'm equally fascinated by the possible benefits of these conditions for fry. In other words, not only the chemical conditions, the pH levels, the tannins, humic substances, that's, that's one thing. But the possibility that the biofilms and other materials that, you know, botanicals and leaves will recruit serves as excellent natural sources of food, supplemental or otherwise, for many fish fry. That's another given and very serious benefit of utilizing botanicals and aquariums. Biofilms in the organisms which are found within them are consumed by a number of species as adults, so it goes without saying that if they're available to fry, they might be a possible source of nutrition. Which leads me to wonder, of course, could a botanically stocked aquarium complete with, you know, perhaps a deep leaf litter bed and lots of botanicals doing their thing, you know, breaking down and stuff, sort of serve as a nursery for fry of fishes which are accustomed to black water conditions? Well, I think so, right? So perhaps a version of the fry-rearing tank that's a bit more than the typical bare-bottomed, hyper-maintained nursery tank that we use so often might be a good thing to experiment with. I mean, sure, for commercial breeding, it's probably a challenge, probably not practical. But for the hobbyists working with just a few species, could this be a great way to provide some supplemental or primary feeding for some fishes, a sort of botanical refugium, if you will, for fry? I think there's a precedent. I mean, what hobbyist hasn't had one of those planted jungle tanks over the years where you're, you just sort of stumble on fry from time to time in the canopy of plants? I mean, same idea, right? They're eating natural foods. They're deriving protection from the environment. I think that we see some of this, uh, or we might see some of this, as more and more hobbyists experiment with botanical-style brackish tanks, too, when we get more species in there. There's a lot of potential discoveries, even breakthroughs, really. Now, none of this stuff is mind-blowingly revolutionary because it's just something we do. But it is evolutionary, a sort of possible progression in thinking or the way we do things. It's not really rocket science. You know, fill tank with water, add leaves, let them decompose, watch biofilms accumulate, add fish fry. I mean, it's likely not that easy, but it's not a difficult concept either. Much research needs to be done to really determine this. And all this continues to link up with our old friend, patience. Patience is simply fundamental in the botanical-style aquarium world, and it can truly make the difference between success and failure observation and attempting to ascertain what's going on in your tank real time, those are the key practices that we need to embrace in order to determine what, if any, benefits botanicals are bringing to the fight. Yes, I know we talk a lot about patience here, especially in the context of working with our botanical-style blackwater aquariums and so forth. We pretty much force-fed you this philosophy of not rushing the evolution, of hanging on during the initial breakdown, not freaking out when the biofilms appear. Patience, embracing the process. And what goes hand-in-hand hand with patience is the concept of well, how do I put it eloquently? Leaving well enough alone, not messing with shit. In the context of trying to get fishes to breed, 
this is always a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Because we're actively involved. But I'm talking about, yeah, just not intervening in your aquarium when no intervention is really necessary. That's not easy for many aspiring breeders. I mean, sure, it's important to take action in your aquarium when something looks like it's about to go south, as they say. But the reality is that good things in an aquarium happen slowly. And if these things seem to be moving in a positive arc, maybe you need not prod them any further. I think this is one of the most underrated mindsets that we can take as aquarium hobbyists and fish breeders. Now, mind you, I'm not telling you to take a laissez-faire attitude about managing your tanks. However, what I am suggesting is that pausing to contemplate what will happen if you intervene is sometimes more beneficial than just jumping in and taking some action without considering the long-term implications of it. It's one thing to be decisive, quite another to be overactive. And of course, it's important to think about what things you're observing actually mean. When a fish starts hiding in the corner, one of the first things out of our mouth is disease. Well, is that what's happening or is the fish just chilling out or perhaps startled or you're even guarding a clutch of eggs? Your first action shouldn't be to net the fish out, tearing up the you know aquascape and generally freaking out every other fish in the process, right? I mean, consider what could have precipitated the behavior before you know you spring into action. What could have precipitated this, con- this behavior that might have worse consequences for your aquarium and the inhabitants if you start messing with things? Maybe it's literally just a passing behavior for the fish. Like any living creature, fishes will occasionally engage in unexpected behaviors, which are not necessarily indicative of an illness or a problem. How do you know what to do or if you should do something? Well, you observe. It's what you already do a lot of anyways, right? Observe your tank carefully, which will give you sort of a baseline for its normal function, for the fish's behaviors, for the operational norms of the equipment, the environmental parameters, etc. Just because a, a blog or a book or a friend tells you that X is not right doesn't mean necessarily that it, you know, it isn't right in your aquarium. Sure, if you have ammonia, something's not right. Duh. <laughs> I mean, but other, if that obviously healthy cryptocurring is growing a little more slowly than what the books say, it may not be a problem, right? There could be a lot of different reasons why many, you know, why, the, why this isn't happening. Many of these are not even remotely associated with problems. The key to understanding when stuff is going wrong is to know what it's like when things are going right in your tank. And you do that by observing constantly. Document it. You know, document it. Document your tank and its operation. Keep a notebook. Take pics, whatever, whatever it is that you do. One of the things that we love to see are how the, you know, the tanks progress. We like to see progression pictures that our customers share with us on Facebook and Instagram and so forth. You can see how the botanicals begin to break down, how the water starts tinting, how the fish color up, etc. It's part of the observation process, which is part of the understanding process, which is how you determine if you need to leave stuff alone or if you need to spring into action to you know, take decisive uh, uh, steps to circumvent a potential disaster. It's that simple. You probably do this already to some extent. However, it's when you forget your, you know, it's easy to forget when it's your babies, right? Online aquarium form, you know, forms are filled with frantic questions from members asking about all kinds of problems happening in their aquariums, and a good percentage of which are nothing to worry about. You see many of these hobbyists describe adding, you know, 100 milligrams of whatever the next day, but nothing changed, probably because there was nothing wrong in the first place. Now, sometimes, sure, there are significant problems that we, you know, freak out about and should jump on, but we have to, you know, pick our battles, don't we? Otherwise, every time we see something slightly different in our tank, we'd be reaching for the medication, the net, adding another gadget, which is like a total reef move, etc. Sometimes we have to let nature take her course on things. Yeah. For example, you have biofilms appearing in your botanicals. We've talked about this a gajillion times, but understanding what they actually are, why they appear, and that they're totally normal. And suddenly those yucky looking strands of goo don't seem quite so menacing. 
when you see all those pics and films from the Amazon showing biofilm and algae growth all over the place, you start understanding that just like brown water and decomposing leaves, they're an important, integral, and totally normal part of the habitat we replicate. So you got to learn what normal is in the context of what you're trying to do. Realizing that nature will plot a course with minimal intervention on our part. I know we talk about this all the time. Sure, when long-term health or even in the enjoyment of your system is tarnished by some of these things, I suppose intervention is necessary. Excessive algae, for example, is indicative of an excess nutrient issue and can be managed with simple adjustments. However, for so many things, the best course of action is to simply let nature do as she's done for eons. Embrace nature. Understand how our closed systems are still little microcosms, subject to the rules laid down by the universe. Realize that sometimes, more often than you might think, it's good enough to leave well enough alone. And in the case of these spontaneous breeding events, sometimes there's nothing we have to do. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it is a million different coincidences all lining up. When those fishes spontaneously spawn, realize it's likely a combination of factors. Assisted along with patience, your efforts, and making the right, you know, finesse moves at the right time. Yeah, there must be something in the water, right? Stay excited. Stay curious. Stay kind to yourself. Stay thoughtful. Stay observant, stay patient, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Bellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.